You're listening to the Salt Churches Podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. Hi, this is Parker Green. Uh, again, back here to talk about micro churches, and we will be every single week. But this one I'm really excited about because <laughs> I'm going to teach you three ways to absolutely and completely fail at planting a micro church. Planting micro churches, I think, is going to become a buzzword. I think a lot of people are going to be talking about it. I think a lot of people are going to be trying to figure out how to do this thing, how to plant churches in homes and apartments and coffee shops and parks and wherever. People are just looking at new models and new ways of doing church, especially for the generations coming up, because as many of you may know, less than 20%, I would say, of all generation Zers. Um, I think it's down under 10% would say that they're practicing Christians or following Jesus in the United States of America. What that basically means is that the megachurch movement essentially failed at bringing up generations of believers. So we saw the Jesus People movement come up in the 19, late 1960s and early 70s in California. So megachurches spring up, which have done a lot of good and seen thousands, if not millions of people saved in the United States. But in essence, we failed with millennials and we failed with Generation Zers, and it's not actually working. Even if we have a meeting that feels really, really good, even if our meetings, we get together and we have great worship, we have the best music that we've ever produced in Christianity, we have the best preaching that we can pipe through throughout the entire world that we've ever had in Christianity, I would say we have some of the best communicators, I would say, that would have ever lived sending out their messages on a weekly basis. And we have not even begun to crack the surface when it comes to millennials and when it comes to Gen Zers, as far as actually following Jesus, having a biblical worldview, actually doing what the Bible says in general. We're not doing it. We're not getting the job done. So I think a lot of people are going to be looking at a different way of doing church. Now, first thing I would caution you is that a new system or a new model or a new thing is not going to be the answer. A lot of people aim for the fruit, but don't realize that it's the tree that's producing it. So a lot of senses, you can't just have a really crappy, tiny little mega church because that's a lot of times what these micro churches or house churches turn into. It's just like a poorly done mega church. And that's literally the last thing that you want to do. Nobody wants to go to a crappy mega church. Um, nobody wants to go even more so to a more awkward, crappy house mega church thingy. <laughs> it's just not the same thing at all. And it's not a small group either. A lot of people call it a small group, but we'll get to that in a minute. It's like, oh, I've been to a small group before. I've done that thing before, blah, 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 blah. Totally different. Micro church is totally different. Not a small group at all. So here's how you fail at starting a micro church. Number one, don't pray. I think a lot of people want to systematize a new thing. Just work at it harder or do better. Micro churches are not one of those things that you can just work harder and it starts to produce for you. You cannot produce trees or fruit in a factory. You can't stamp these things out. You can't do the same thing with discipleship, which we'll get to next, but you got to pray. You got to spend time in prayer. I know before Salt Churches was planted in my heart, I fasted for 21 days 
along with my wife, um, before we had our firstborn son, David. And it was unexpected to me, but the first little bits and the first pieces of planting a microchurch was actually planted in my heart. And so you've got to get out there. You've got to get out and pray. Pray, 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 pray. pray. And then when you finish praying, pray some more. Famous evangelist said one time, I'm forgetting who it is right now, um, but I just read it in A.W. Tozer book and he quotes it. He says, pray until you start praying. And I think everyone kind of knows what that feels like. If you're going to pray about starting one of these, if you're going to pray about having a microchurch in your own community, if you're really going to think about doing this thing, like actually getting out there and starting a church in your own home or your own apartment or meeting at a coffee shop or a park, whatever it looks like, getting a group of people together and actually following Jesus together in this sense, you've got to pray and pray like crazy. Because here's the thing, the devil knows this works and he's going to resist anything that looks like this. He knows we can saturate whole communities. He knows we can take over whole cities. He knows we can take over whole states. He knows the gospel of the kingdom of heaven when people actually see our love for one another in these gospel communities that are following Jesus, that we can actually transform whole generations and continue to transform multi-generationally. It's unbelievable to me how much resistance with our little church we've met, but we always continue to pray through. You've got to start with a praying culture. You've got to start before you do anything, pray. Before you do anything at all, pray. Pray, 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 pray. And when you finish praying, pray some more. And when you finish praying, then fast and pray together. And when you finish doing that, fast, pray, and devour the word together. That's the kind of culture that you need to start a church like this, a nucleus that can actually reproduce in a way that's healthful and healthy. Community for community's sake will never work. What prayer does is actually creates a mission and a vision around Jesus, who's the head of his church, a mission and a vision around who he is and pursuing him and having unbroken fellowship with him and pursuing his vision and mission for the church that you want to start. Because the reality is, all the way through scripture, God takes all the credit for the growth. He asks us to pray and he asks us to make disciples. The first thing that you need to do is pray. And if you want to fail at starting a microchurch, try and systematize it. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead and try and plug someone's system from China or Africa or wherever into your neighborhood and watch that thing miserably screech to a halt. Or at the very best, if you're a very charismatic leader and you're great at gathering, gathering people. You're just going to be a part of a really, really slow, painful car crash because you'll have a bunch of people in a house, but what you're trying to do is something from somebody else. You need to pray around it. So if you want to fail, don't pray. Don't pray. Just try and do something awesome. And when I say don't pray, I mean, I don't, I don't mean just have prayer meetings when I say pray. I don't mean just you know, have a quiet time in the morning. What I mean is pray specifically, intentionally, on purpose with a group of people that are passionate and fired up about actually following Jesus and starting this thing together. And what you'll see during prayer is people will fall off that actually don't want to be a part because they can't handle the intensity. Great. Perfect. That's exactly what you want. You'll start to see a a DNA actually start to form around the church that you're about to start. You're going to see something transform. You're going to see something change in the people around you and see them actually come together and begin to do this thing together. Lastly, you're going to get some plans. The Holy Spirit's actually going to speak to the people praying together. That's exactly what you want. 
You want everyone on the same page. So pray intentionally, specifically for your neighborhood, for lost people, for disciples to be multiplied. And then you'll start to see the form of this church start to actually take place. And let's not be afraid of the word church. I think a lot of people that get involved in the micro church movement, they get involved in the house church movement. It becomes this us for no more or big churches, blah, 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 where they have all these negative things to say about churches. Let me say something really, really straightforward on this point, okay? That's not the kind of church that we are, and that's not the kind of church any micro church should be or any house church should be. Here's why. Because there are a lot of really amazing, beautiful, lovely people in all those kinds of churches, in all kinds of churches, every single kind of church, there are people devoted to Jesus and following him that are making disciples. Here's the thing. If someone comes into my house and treats my bride poorly or disrespects my bride, that I'm going to be an upset human being, to say the least. Imagine telling the king of the universe that you don't like how his bride looks. Here's what you can do instead. If you think that the model that is currently running, the mega church model, the legacy church model, whatever it looks like, if you don't think it's working, do something better and make it obsolete over the years. Take care of his bride instead of pointing fingers. Love people even if you think they're wrong. As this movement starts to take momentum and starts to get momentum, we're going to see a lot of people with deferring views just like we saw in earlier generations. But we need to focus ourselves on Jesus and Jesus alone because we can make the same mistake as every other Reformation movement before this one. And we can fracture on stupid, silly little beliefs that don't make a difference generationally down the line and don't bring the kingdom of heaven on earth because we'll be known for our love for each other. There are some things worth fighting about. Most doctrinal differences actually aren't. So that's the number one thing. Don't pray. Number two, don't make disciples. If you want to fail, don't make disciples. Don't make disciples at all. Just have a neat little gathering. Don't make disciples that make disciples. Have a neat little gathering where everyone gets together and no one's thinking outwardly. And, you know, we have a great meeting or a great worship or a great thing or a great teaching, whatever it is. We are not a gathering church. We are a church that gathers. We're a church that makes disciples and our disciples get together on Sunday evenings and Sunday afternoons. If I cancel for the next six months, Salt Church's gatherings, for the next six months, I guarantee you on that seventh month, that first Sunday night, we're going to have the same or even more people in attendance at that gathering than we had before because the culture of discipleship is actually what matters in our church. The culture of discipleship is actually what matters. So if you want to fail, don't make disciples. And we've done that. Don't assume disciples are getting made if you're the elder or leader or pioneer or father or whatever you want to call it, somebody that starts one of these churches, whatever you want to call that. Don't assume that discipleship is taking place. You can never assume that discipleship is actually taking place. You have to, in all senses, actually look after your flock and make sure that the word is being taught. People are being taught how to obey Jesus and to follow him. That's what discipleship looks like. In the New Testament, there's no differentiation between disciple and Christian. The word Christian is only used three times. Two of those times by outsiders, people that weren't a part of the church. Everyone else inside were called followers of the way or disciples. There was no differentiation between a Christian and a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a full on, full tilt, all the way disciple. There there were no nominal Christians. Really, it didn't make sense considering what Jesus has said. And I think it's almost impossible. It is impossible to be a nominal Christian if you're reading through the Gospels day after day after day and really think you're a Christian without being somewhat deceived. 
The disciples always make disciples because people begin to see that it works. People begin to reach out to you. You begin to reach out to other people because Jesus is actually transforming what's going on on the inside of you and the fruit of your life changes. You can't just aim for disciples made. What you aim is to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And what comes out of that is disciple making, loving people, caring for people, leading people with Jesus, toward Jesus. And the goal we always say of discipleship in our church is unbroken fellowship with Jesus. We want to point people towards unbroken fellowship with him. That's the real point. That's the real reality of discipleship. We don't just want to give people another program. It can't be a program. Programs don't work. You cannot manufacture discipleship. It takes the humanity out of it. Every single person is radically different. You even watch how Jesus made disciples. He didn't sit these guys down for a year in a classroom. Classroom was life. The classroom was a relationship. The classroom was every single circumstance and situation that they found themselves in. Jesus used it as a teaching moment through the relationship that he had with these guys. So if we really want to see discipleship as a transformational movement within the church that you're actually starting, you have to do it in a way that actually makes sense. What we do is we get three or four people together. So the conversation's better, first of all. You don't have to carry the whole thing if you're the host or the disciple maker or the facilitator, whatever that looks like. And all the weight of discipleship doesn't lean on you. I went out of town this last week to Joshua Tree for a couple of days just to be alone with Jesus. And guess what? Wednesday morning is when we have discipleship with the crew that I'm a part of. And it still happened without me. Even though I'm the host, I'm the person that invited all these people into discipleship. And you know what? It was an amazing meeting. I've heard lots and lots of reports about how unbelievable it was. And I didn't have to be there. But discipleship essentially should take place well without you being there. If you want to fail at starting a microchurch, don't make disciples. Just try and start an event, another tiny little event-driven thing. It'll just be another version of the old version, but just not quite as good. And the last one, <laughs> the last one I'd have to say is if you if you don't want to do well at starting a microchurch, I would try and be as inflexible as possible. And what I mean by that is things are going to change very rapidly on the ground. Things are going to change very quickly on the ground when you start a microchurch. Be ready to change your belief systems based on scripture. Be ready to transform who you are as a person. Be ready to change the, the way that you measure outcomes and you measure success. Be prepared to get gutted completely of the old way of doing things. Here's the thing. A lot of people are trying to mix and mingle the DNA of microchurches and the legacy or megachurch model. It's been now around for 60, 70. I would caution against mixing two models together. The DNA doesn't necessarily match. A lot of people are saying, and from what, I, what I've heard in some circles and what little rumors I have heard of it, people running larger churches are wanting to start microchurches too. Now, I don't see a ne- necessarily a problem with that, but you have to ask the honest question, will this fit within our bureaucracy? Will this actually fit within the systems and the structures that we have? Can you let go of enough control to see these churches multiply and flourish without you being the name or the sticker on top of it? What if it's not called the same thing as as the church that you have? It's not a small group. It's not a Bible study. It's not a worship night. It's not any of those things. It's a church. What's a church? A church is a group of believers following Jesus together. It's people following him. And I I just do not see it being a successful foray, I guess you could say, (laughs) into 
trying to mix and mingle two different kinds of church together. What you'll have is another system of trying to get people connected to your main Sunday service where your outcomes are actually counted. So here's how you can tell if you're actually starting a microchurch or or whatever. If you're not counting how many of those people are actually ending up at your Sunday service, but you begin to count what's happening during the week. So what you count is really important and what you pay attention to is really important. How many disciples are getting made? How many generations down are we? Are people giving or not? Are they living generous lives? What what does their life actually look like? Are are they saved, discipled, repentant? Are they making disciples themselves? Are we making disciples? disciple makers. But if you're if you're thinking still in the context of we have this many people on a Sunday morning or night or Wednesday night or whenever you meet. We have worship was good, which is like a measure of nothing. <laughs> really? <laughs> because like it's just a feeling and we're not 100% sure what's good and what's not. I've had moments of worship that were absolutely silent. I feel like they were better than the best worship I've ever experienced in my life as far as technical skill. If you're measuring offering in containers, if you're measuring, you know, butts in seats and team numbers on a Sunday, but you want to start micro churches, you have to be prepared mentally for this to be something completely different. You have to be prepared to call them churches not just an extension of your church or an outreach of your church or something you're trying to turn into a service. If you really want to saturate communities and take places over, it has to multiply. It cannot be added to. It cannot be an addition structure. And I believe that most, if not all, legacy churches are an addition structure because they only truly allow for that. If you want to multiply, it has to look like a family would multiply. It has to look like a farm or a forest would multiply. You can't manufacture that. You can't add to that. So if you want a micro church to fail, really fail, um, be inflexible, try and mix and with the old way. Some things will have to die in you. Some things will have to die in the way that you do things in order for it to work. And I know that my, geez, man, my first six months were just miserable. My poor wife, my poor people that I was discipling, my poor, everybody around me must have been miserable because I know in a lot of ways that I really was because the way I was seeing church was an old way that needed to burn and needed to die in order for me to do it in the new way and to have a new wineskin and to do things in a new way. If you really want to do things in a new way, if you really want to plant micro churches, then you can't mix and mingle DNA. It has to be something different. Here's the reality. If you're planning on doing the frontier work with one of these, if you're planning on being like the person that starts a new network of micro churches or just one in your own home, whatever it looks like, if you're planning on being one of those people. I would take some serious time of fasting and prayer, what we talked about first, and think about the ways that are scriptural and what you're doing and what ways are man-made religion and aren't actually functionally producing what you want to see in your life and the lives of others. Because what you are and who you are is where your ministry is going to flow out of. Just like King Solomon says, out of the heart flow all the issues of life. And Jesus says the same thing about the heart over and over and over again. We have to remember that following him is a mission of the heart. It is a transformation of the heart. And we walk in spiritual disciplines in following him to get our mind to align with the heart that he's transformed and our habits to align with that and our lives to align with that. So we have to do that first. And and here's the thing about a microchurch too. It's very exposing. You can't ask people to do things that you're not doing yourself because they're in your home. They're in your life. And if they're not, 
then you're not doing microchurches the right way. You're just using an old wineskin and the skin will burst and you'll have to start all over again. So all that being said, those are three ways to fail. Don't pray, don't make disciples, and try and mix and mingle DNA from an old way and a new way. The wineskin will definitely burst and you'll be frustrated. So this is what I want to encourage you to do if you're starting one of these. If you're becoming a part of this movement, you're joining a network of disciple-making microchurches, I would say, number one, pray a lot. Pray a long time. Pray first. Spend time praying. I would have spent at least a couple more months praying um, after we arrived in Southern California. We started a church two months after we got here. We immediately conceived a new baby. I would have spent a lot more time praying and just getting to know people and getting to know people in the in the community in general and getting to know Southern California and settling back in Southern California. Pray, pray, pray. Second, make disciples. Man, Like, it's not super hard to figure out that if you have disciples down to a fourth generation in microgroups of disciples, three or four disciples at a time, you essentially have a church. So if you make disciples and you say, hey guys, let's all get together, break bread, let's eat together, let's worship together. It's a pretty straightforward way of starting a church because you have a network of disciples already. Last one, let the old ways die. Not a small group, not a Bible study, church. These people be in your lives, up and in your lives, involved in it. I've cried in front of my church people more than I'd like to admit, and they're the ones that have drawn it out of me, even though I was trying to hide. Uh, They've called me out when I've asked them to do things that I'm not doing myself. It's a very humbling experience, and you have to measure the way that you achieve success in a different way. And we really believe that success is obedience and doing what Jesus asks us to do. And we really believe that success happens during the week because we actually do it that way. Sunday gatherings are not the central focal point of our church. They're wonderful celebrations. But in an instant, if the Lord asks, we would drop it and the church would still function how it's supposed to function. And we have to be ready for that. Like heard the phrase, I mean, I think Calvary guys used to say this, Sunday comes again. And a lot of guys get stressed out by that, that are in full-time ministry because you got to think of a message, your event planning all week to try and get people to this thing, to gather people, you're you're checking the numbers, you're basing the whole situation off those numbers. But if we could take a step back and go, okay, what's actually happening during the week? And look at microchurches in this way, because if your church can't survive without a Sunday service, is it the church? Let me say that again. If your church can't survive without a Sunday service, is it the church or is it an event that you're continually throwing with? believers that attend or adhere to a list of principles. Because if it's the church, if we're operating as the church, a living organism started by the Holy Spirit in the first followers of Jesus that is still here today, 2,000 years later, the bride of Christ marching with his banners, entering the kingdom of heaven violently together. If we don't have a building or we don't have something happening on a Sunday and the church dies, is it the church? Is it what Jesus had in mind in the first place? We need to ask these questions consistently and continually. Is it really what he wanted in the first place? So all that being said, I hope this podcast really, really helped you. If you're interested in actually starting a microchurch, we have a summit coming up in June that I'll be talking about really, really shortly and be opening applications to be a part of that. You can reach out to us on our website. If you want to support our ministry, you can go to our website, saltchurches.com and do that. We are doing the frontier work right now in any kind of support, even if you want to just send like a nice word of encouragement (laughs) also helps as well. But um, 
We are so thankful for everyone that's going to watch this video. We hope it helps you. Everyone that listens to this podcast, we're recording at the same time. We hope this really, really helps you transform the world around you where you are right now and possibly gives you some new ideas on what church can really be and what church can function as in this American society that is now essentially post-Christian. So hope you have a great day and check us out on saltchurches.com. Like I said before, check out some of our videos on YouTube and we also have Facebook. Facebook page, Salt Churches. So have a good one and hope you enjoyed this. Hope you enjoyed this latest podcast on microchurches. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.